they get jealousy is a very pervasive and very ugly, very dirty emotion. Don't you agree, those of you who are jealous? It's a, it is. It's a very negative thing. And I got a fortune cookie the other day when I went out to lunch with Debbie. And in the fortune cookie, it says, in jealousy, there is more self-love than love. Ooh. I had to think about that. And you know that's true. Because what is it when we're jealous? What are we afraid of? We're afraid we're going to get hurt. We're afraid we're going to lose something. We're afraid something's going to be taken away from us. Something like that is going to happen. And jealousy is an ugly thing. And we, you know, we want to, I think if we are fully self-supporting, if we're self-supporting, if we learn to keep our emotions you know, learn to get better, learn to have self-esteem. And I say learned because that's what it's been for me. Is It's a learning thing. It's not does, It's not something that comes to me naturally. Oh, I, I just, I just, ha- I would hate to focus so much on Dick that I would think, where is he now? Who is he with? However, there was one time, one time out of 25 years, actually two times, if I'm really honest. And it was it's become a joke with us now because I became jealous of this one particular individual. And I raised a little bit of fuss about it. And he put on that patient look that men have when you think they're going to say something stupid like, I'll be glad when you have your period. You know, those kinds of looks. And he put that look on like, this is nuts, you know. But it was real to me. But it, it, we worked it out. It became a joke. And I had to go pick up this lady at a particular function. She was, I was to hostess her. So I had to go pick her up at the airport and hostess her around all weekend, which I thought was just revenge somewhere coming from on high. But anyway, I, you know. It it was not a threat any longer, but when we were looking at the aim for aims thing, and we read the list of people who are going to speak over there, I said, "Well, there it is. I'm going." Because <laughs> he was going, and I said, "I got to go over there and guard you." <laughs> but it is. It's it's. It's uh, it's not a good emotion to have, you know, and I think when we get that self-esteem and that self-respect and stuff, we don't have to feel that. I hate that. I hate I hate focusing on any oh, tunnel vision. I just, you know, and, and it's hard, and, and the people that I sponsor have that. And fortunately, as I've said, Dick and I have not had that problem too often. Um, each person has but one primary purpose, to carry his or her attitudes to one another in and out of the relationship. We strive to give to the relationship instead of taking from, which is always hard for me to do. It's always hard for me to think of giving rather than taking because, I, well, not anymore, really, because you've done a pretty good job on me, a lot better job than I give you credit for a lot of times. But now I think that it's probably more like 50-50. I probably give about as much as I take. I don't. I don't know. I have never thought enough to, never thought about enough to measure it, but I do know this, that when we were first married, it was a great uh, source of, uh, I didn't like this feeling. 
I come, my family comes, I'm, all of my family is professional. All of the people in my family are professional. And when I first met Dick, he was a salesman. <laughs> and in broadcasting. And, uh, married before. All kinds of drawbacks of that nature. And, uh, I really felt, I hate even saying this, but it embarrasses me, but I felt better than him. I felt better than him. And that is, it, that's so alcoholic. It's so much into my old way of thinking, you know, because of these particular things in his life. And because he didn't have a college degree. Well, you know, it's a strange thing, blindness. Um, neither did I. I got it after I got sober, but I had just gotten it. And I really think that that comes from forgetting from where I came. And I, it tells me in the recovery steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that I must remember from whence I came in order for me to help those that I would help. I gotta remember from whence I came. I gotta remember. And it's as plain as this, and it's been in, in, it's, it's been in part of our culture forever. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And to put it another way, if you want to be forgiven, there's a, a corollary to that. You must forgive. And I hate that. Why should I forgive? But I'll tell you something. I'm thinking of one individual at this time, and I will tell you this. To not forgive is to breed a form of spiritual disease that is so corrosive that it will affect every relationship that you have. Every relationship. Every person that comes in contact with that person that you resent, it it forms a spiritual disease that is unbelievable. And there was a point in time when I had a resentment like that towards Dick. And I needed to get rid of it. I needed not to judge him. I needed to forgive. I needed to be forgiven. Because I could have held that. I could have said, is this mine, Jim? I could have said, I will, this I will never forgive. But what good does it do me? What good does it do to hang on to stuff like that? What good does it do the relationship? What good does it do me? All it does is affect every damn relationship I have. And, that was part of that period of time in which we were really shaky in there. And it's been many years ago, and we made it through. But we made it through because of you. We made it through because of the principles. We made it through because of the steps and because of the ability that AA has given us to forgive, that God has given us through AA to forgive. Because he had some forgiving to do of me, too. Well, I was not the only one. Six. A person ought not be overly supportive spiritually, emotionally, or physically to the other person lest problems of ego gratification divert us from the primary purpose. And I think that really tells me that if I do something, if I take over, if I take over the relationship and I run it, that means that the results of the relationship are in my hands. I don't want it. I thought I wanted it, but I don't want it. What it says is that if I take away his 
options. If I take away his, I ensure his, their failure to ever be able to do it themselves. In other words, if I want the house clean and he ain't cleaning it, if I clean it and it's his job, I ensure his failure of ever being able to do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like if I take away that dignity, because see, we have the right to be wrong and the right to be right. Each of us has the right to be wrong and the right to be right. If I take away your rights, if I just take over and do everything, then that's going to make you, as an, and especially as an alcoholic, feel bad, isn't it? But if it really bothers me that it's not clean, we might switch jobs. But it will be a tit for a tat. You understand? Because this has got to be an equal thing. But if I took over for him, I remember his room when he was drinking was a disaster. It was horrible. And what I wanted to do was help. I just wanted to help. But the thing was, he didn't want me in there because he had like baggies of stuff in his records and stuff. And he didn't want me to find all that hidden stuff. So you know what I ended up doing? What I ended up doing was closing the door. It was so simple. And Maya's got him well trained now. I mean, he, he, really, she, listen, as soon as he went, moved out and he moved in there, that little dynamo got him moving. Something I was never able to blackmail him into or bludgeon or anything else. It's amazing what you will do when you want what we have. I mean, really, anything to get it. We even mow grass and stuff. <laughs> Poor Jimmy, he's gonna. Well, we're gonna hurry up here. Okay. Because <laughs> we really do want to get done with this. Um, the self-supporting thing, where. You know, I have never, I don't know, I, I've never, I've never thought much about being a feminist or, I don't even, what do you call the opposite? What do you call men? No, masochist? No. Cho- no, not chauvinist. What is a, what is a, what is, macho? Well, no, it's not even, it's not even macho, it's just one man? Being a man and a woman being a woman. Huh? Masculine, say. Well, whatever it is. We'll come up with it. But a feminist, I've never thought about that. I've never thought, I've never, I've, I've always just thought of myself as a person who wanted to always have my way. That's all. It didn't matter whether I was a man or a woman. I just wanted my way. Well, when you've got two alcoholics in a family who want their way, uh, You're going to have some fights. And I remember one, you know, I mean, I have, have you ever been in that thing where you're saying, well, I think I'll do something nice for him. You know, if your sponsor ever signed something, I said, do something nice for him every day. I know I assign this all the time. Do something nice for him every day and not get found out. 
because it improves your relationship with them. You're supposed to do something nice for them every day, but they can't find out about it because if they find out about it, it doesn't count. Well, my problem is that I do it, but I expect them to find out it's me. And if they don't find out soon enough, I tell them that it's me. One time, Dick brought the van back from a trip on the road. It had more bugs from Wyoming on it than you can imagine. Just bugs. I mean, it must have been a mass suicide of bugs. I mean, there were bugs all over this van. And it was a, it was a nice day, and I took it out in the driveway, and I'm going to wash it for him. Just not expecting anything in return. I'm going to go out and wash. I don't know if you women relate to this. Do you ever get into those moods where you're just, like, driven? You know, you're just driven. Everything there is. There's dirt in the world, you know, you gotta go, oh, the dirt, you know, it's just really an obsession. And so I, I took after this van with that thought. It was the day when the air show was on, and I was out there, and I was having such a good time, but boy, there were a lot of bugs on that van. And he was in the house, relaxing. Now, to, to me, relaxing is Dick is sitting in his armchair, and he does not seem to move an inch. He's just draped there. So I'm out there, and I'm scrubbing, and I'm scrubbing, and I'm scrubbing, and it's getting hotter and hotter, and the bugs ain't coming off. And nobody's even checking on me to see if. And I I start thinking, and I'm going, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, I'm thinking, I could die out here. I could, this van could roll over me or something, and nobody would even know. You know, they they take me for granted. They just they really do take me for granted. No good husband sitting in there on the footstool not doing a thing, sleeping the day away, and I'm out here doing a good job for him. You know, and I'm starting out this thing just to be self-supporting. And I'm all of a sudden, I'm not self-supporting. I'm supporting the whole family. I mean, I'm, he's sitting on his footstool the rest of his life. Jimmy's vegged out downstairs, gaining weight and smoking dope, you know, and all that stuff. All, you know, and I'm, and here I am, the only one in the whole family who's working, and I'm scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. And I flung the thing down like that, and I stopped in the house, and I kicked his footstool, and I said, why don't you offer some help? And he just kind of looked up at me and he said, I didn't ask you to do it in the first place. But the thing was, it was, that's right. He didn't ask me to do it in the first place. I had just ruined a wonderful opportunity to be of service. You know, to do something for somebody else without thought of return. But that's the idea in this. Persons in a relationship should remain spiritually, emotionally, physically supportive to one another for better, for worse, in sickness and health. One of the things that it brings out in this is, and later, in 10, a family relationship should avoid heated controversy, is that we have tried to argue, we have had some colossal arguments. Um, we have never struck each other, or I struck him once and thought better of it. <laughs> um, he he is the sort of person that we will be having a perfectly reasonable heated argument and he'll turn and walk out. And I hate that. I just hate it. And I so I planted my fist in the middle of his back one time. He turned around and he looked at me. And then he just turned around and left. And that was all it took. You know, I have never, because I don't think, it never does any good 
to beat up on anybody physically. It just, we made after that, <laughs> of course, as if he had to make the rule, we decided that we would not lay hands on each other. That if necessary, as he told John at one time, put your hands in your pockets. Put your hands in your pockets and walk out. Because there are things that can be said or, or if, if we strike one another, we can't forget it. You maybe can forgive, but it's one of those things that you store away. Can't forget. And I personally, by that time and by, and at this point, have developed too much self-esteem to stay in an abusive relationship like that. It would not be something that I would ha- could stay in now because I think too well of myself. And so, <laughs> In this case, I would be the bati or the bateur or whatever, and he would be the the recipient because he doesn't he is not that sort of person. And so we decided that, and we've made a commitment to that, and that has been the case. There's also the case of saying something that you cannot pull back, and I have done that, where I have said things with the deliberate intention of hurt deliberately to hurt him. And I have a little card that I keep in my uh, makeup case on my dresser. And in it, on the card, I've had it for years, it says, when in doubt, shut up. Because it's so much easier to not say something and to, to let the moment pass and not have to go back and say you were wrong, which is a good sight. I mean, I hate saying I'm wrong. I hate apologizing. So if I don't say something that I have to apologize for, then I'm better off. But on the other side of it, I also don't want to say things deliberately to hurt, which cannot be, you know, words are like, words go in your ears as soon as they're said. You can't pull them back like a, a balloon on a string. You can't put them back in. They're out there, and they're floating, and they're heard. And uh, sometimes we say things that can never be forgiven, or certainly never forgotten, maybe forgiven. And I, you know, I I think I have too much respect for myself now to to, to say those kinds of things. Um, I used to take great relish in that, because as this vulnerable person, as this person who never wanted to be hurt, I always liked to hurt before I was hurt. You know, I always took the offensive, and uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I am not a gamey person. I, I don't even know how to play the game anymore. Maybe I did before, but I don't know how to play it anymore. Uh, and it, it's your fault. <laughs> I just, I just don't have the wits to keep up with it. And also, I think it's very damaging to play the game. And all of you who are game players know what I'm talking about. It's very damaging. It's also very complicated. And uh, we can get into some stuff with game plan that we can't get out of. And we can do damage that we can't undo. And so I I really prefer to stay out of the game. You know, just let's, you know, there are so many uh, complicated things that we can do to get our way and then we get our way because we've done these complicated things. And just like me, then I don't want it because it's something I've manipulated. 
poke, a step of a traditional leaven, um, I find it that I need to be responsible for staying attractive. I need to be responsible for keeping, for, you know, some of the, you know, some of the best relationships I've ever heard of have gone down the tubes because one or the other person didn't brush their teeth or take a bath or get a haircut. And it's gross, but it's true. You know, that is part of the attraction that is mentioned in, in uh, Tradition 11, is keeping yourself neat and clean. You don't have to wear, we can't afford, all of us, we can't afford to wear expensive clothes, but we can sure afford to wash our clothes and to stay neat and clean. You know, and I, I find that absolutely essential. I work with Dick. I live with Dick. I go to meetings with Dick. Um, it would be very easy for me to just stay in sweats all the time. You know, stay in sweats at home, stay in sweats, or, or not care about how I look. But I get up every day. I put on my makeup. I even, I, I wear sweats a lot at work, I gotta tell you, cause it, I only, I have to walk downstairs. And since I sleep with my boss, it's easy to get time off and stuff, but, or not so easy anymore, but, but at least clean, neat looking stuff. And I think that's so important. And I, I have a responsibility to try to keep my weight under control. You know, I have a responsibility to me to uh, to take care of myself, to eat properly. All of that stuff has to do with attraction. It all has to do with self-respect. It all has to do with staying in the now. You know, if, of, uh, yeah, I'm getting older and I'm getting wrinkled, but I don't have to give in to it. You know, it's like my pigeons gave me all this reconstructive stuff for my uh, my anniversary this year, anti-wrinkle cream and stuff, you know. But I'll, I'll use it. I'll try anything, you know. I mean, I don't want to give up before ta- my time, you know. I mean, the sands may be running downhill, but God, I can put a dam in there for a while anyway. And I think that's part of it, you know, for being an attractive, being attractive in the relationship. And Dick is always, I mean, he is the kind of guy that just, I mean, he takes two showers a day. And he changes his, you know, he's just scrupulously neat and clean. And so I think that's, you'd be surprised how many relationships fall apart because of that. The other thing, too, is to, is, and I'm not always very good about this, keep my language appropriate. There is nothing that I hate worse than hearing the F word from the podium, and I have said it. So I know it feels ugly coming out, too. And I need to, to keep my language as ladylike as possible. There's nobody that likes a nice, juicy string of obscenities better than I do and have used them. But I need to keep it, you know, I need to keep limited on that because it, it, it makes me spiritually ugly. I think, anyway. Maybe not for you, but for me. And I think, again, what I am speaks so loudly that sometimes you can't even hear what I'm saying. So I have a responsibility to, to be a good AA member and to make my actions match my, make the outsides, my insides match my outsides. And I gotta keep my actions principled and, and, uh, uh, make them at home what they are here. It's real easy for me to be good for, th- for us 60 minutes in a meeting. But what's like at home? Do I take it home? And how is it at home? 
you know, how are things going at home? And usually home is the hardest place to put these principles into action because the closer we come into proximity to another human being, the more essential does politeness become. Just simply being polite. Saying please and thank you. Never, in my case, just expecting something for nothing. You know, to actually say thank you. To be involved with the members of my family. Uh, and I think I am. I'm very lucky in that way. And I'm involved with a lot of other people. I was scared to death the other night. Janet called me and Janet was scared. And uh, Melissa had burned herself and, and we didn't know how badly and we were trying to find Sherry. She was in a meeting. We found her at work and, or Janet found her or she came home or something. But, and it turned out not to be so bad. But, but the fact that I am able to be involved in my family and care about my family, be involved in sponsorship and care about my sponsorship makes me able to be involved in those people's lives enough that I give a damn. And I think that's, you know, what has happened to me through these the actions of these traditions is a process. It's not ever over. Just like the actions of the steps on my recovery are never over. If I don't keep moving forward, I'm going to fall backward. It's never over. And... Uh, and that's the good news. Because if I, if I make a mistake today, tomorrow, I can perhaps amend it. Because we do this a day at a time. And I'm glad I'm only married to Dick a day at a time. Because if I screw up one day, I can amend it the next. And, uh, and I, and I love him. And I like him. And I, but those things are fostered. Because I can destroy it. I can destroy it by my actions and my mouth and and not adhering to these things. I know that. I know that. I know there isn't a love that is a, it can be except for the love of God because he never moves. I don't think there's a love that's strong enough on this earth to continuously be assaulted and not crumble. I'm not of the sort that believes that there's only one person in this whole world for me. But the one I, the one, the relationship that I'm in right now is, is certainly good enough. And it's a sight better than I've ever had. As is my relationship with the people I sponsor, as is my relationship with my parents, as is my relationship with my kids. Um, as is the relationship now with, at least better with Nancy, because of Dick's having made amendments there. Um, and it, and it's happened because of the actions of these things, not because of me. And 12, what we're really talking about in 12 is having trust and respect. Um, what we're really talking about is understanding and knowing where that, where the grace comes from, where the bottom line is. And for us, you know, it says here, as we each come to a better understanding of ourselves as a person, begin to separate our needs from our wants, set our priorities straight, rid ourselves of the legitimate and illegitimate guilt of the past, and the unfounded, ego-centered 
fears of tomorrow. We can begin to center our attention on living one day at a time. And what it, what it really says to me is that that spiritual foundation of, of helping others, that spiritual foundation of doing something for someone and not expecting anything in return, that spiritual foundation of selflessness, um, of unselfishness, um, enables us to trust and respect one another. It enables us to go on in this relationship when the two of us are such distinct and individual people and nutty alcoholics as we are. Um, it enables me to place these principles that we have been talking about this afternoon over my personality. You know, when I first got sober, I read that, or after I'd been sober for a while, I read that, and I thought, I can place, place my lofty principles over your rotten personality anytime, because that made me feel better than you. I mean, that was easy. The, the point was that I had to place these principles, put these principles into action over my personality. And that was the trick. And... uh I'm done. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Lots of you have had a good rest. I've noticed you sleeping, and I have taken names. Um, I forgive you, but I won't forget it. And uh, thank you for asking me to do this. And uh, 